Did that actually happen? Joe wrapped it up? <laughs> Joe fucking wrapped it up. Dude, I have had to pee forever. You didn't even give me my bathroom break. I drank so much water. I don't even care if you use this in the cold open. I am hydrated and I'm going to wet my pants. goat rodeo started um what's a goat rodeo you don't know what a goat rodeo is i mean is it self-explanatory it is not a good thing so it's going to be great for this podcast welcome everybody to may we geek again episode seven is a podcast covering a show on the cw called the hundred my name is jennifer and i am joined today as always by my co-hosts joe and shaheen hello guys hello give me energy Energy, Hello. come on, guys. Oh, my God. Hey, guys. Oh, my God, it's a podcast. I'm so Slay sorry for whoever, USA, like, baby. turned this up in their car <laughs> and is now crashed into a fire hydrant. I mean, we just shouted at people. Like, we're I, we usually didn't really calm. Look, yeah, we are usually calm, but I think we need to turn it up. That's a new word I learned. No, it's a new, it, it's an, it might be turn? new for you. It's old for the world. <laughs> But way to stay hip with the zeitgeist. Oh, well, anyway, let's get into it, guys. Um, Welcome to our podcast. Just a reminder, you can find us on social media, on Twitter and Facebook at May We Geek Again. We'd also like to mention we'd really appreciate if we could get some positive reviews on iTunes. Note I say positive reviews. If you want to give us one star review and say, you know, we're shit because you don't like our content or our opinions, well, that's not very fair. That's not really nice. Um, We try our hardest and we prepare as well as we can for this. So give us five-star reviews or don't bother. (laughs) Or else. (laughs) Or else. I will will come to your house and just... We're elite hackers. We'll backtrace (laughs) the USB. Yeah, I will break into your IP and do some hackering stuff, because I watch Mr. Robot, guys, and I know stuff. I drink and I know things. What we're talking about today on Episode 7 is uh, we're covering Season 2, Episodes 9 through 12, and let me give you those episode details. So, Episode 9 is Remember Me by Dorothy Fortenberry. The 10th episode is Survival of the Fittest, written by Akilah Cooper. Then we have Coup de Gras by Charlie Craig and Rubicon, written by Aaron Ginsberg and Wade McIntyre. So, guys, um, interesting batch of episodes here. I guess I'm coming at these with an ambivalence that Shaheen had last week, or last podcast. <laughs> there are some of these that I really, really like parts of, but as a whole, I don't know if they all like hang together really well. Um, what do you guys think about these four episodes? It's interesting because I I feel the exact opposite way. <laughs> um, oh, go figure. <laughs> I love this. I love these four episodes. I think they're. Um, um, I can't say that they're the best of season two because the yeah. next batch of four are going to be great. Yeah, we got the next four. They're definitely to me. They're better than the previous four episodes. So really, the huh. pre- previous four are for me, the least favorite part of season two. Okay. That's fair. I think, I think I, you know, we discussed your, your issues with those, those episodes. And I I have, I have some of the same issues with, 
specifically remember me, um, but you know uh, that you know that's just me. So that's what this podcast like, is all do you about. Feel differing like they're opinions. Cheesy or uh, we'll get into that with with uh, remember me um, and and kind of there's a specific part or the specific thing ghost in remember. Stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah, um, that stuff. Yeah, I yeah, agree. But Joe, what, what what did you think of these four episodes? I I honestly like. I kind of agree with both of you. Um, <laughs> you are such a fence sitter. <laughs> Pick a side, Trump so, or Clinton. <laughs> so like, oh my god. Um, so like, I was actually thinking about this when I was watching um, the last episode, the last episode, maybe the last two um, of this group, and like, I feel like the episodes in and of themselves were a little bit uneven, but within each episode, like certain parts would be kind of low for me, and then towards the end of the episode, especially like the last episode, um, you know, with the whole Tom DC bombing and stuff like that, like it was an otherwise like eh episode. And then all of a sudden it ramps up and you're like, holy fuck, this is good. Um, so I feel yeah, like yeah, while yeah. you maybe felt like the whole block was a little uneven or underwhelming, I just thought like sort of parts of certain episodes were a little bit underwhelming. Um, but overall, well, like I do agree though, that the next four are where it's at. So, so yeah. So my macro view is that they're, they're uneven and they don't hang together all that great. And then my micro view is the same way for each episode. Like there's fantastic parts of some of these episodes and other parts where you're just like, eh, I could take it or leave it. You know, there's so much important stuff going on with these episodes, but the, sometimes the way the important stuff is gotten to is, is weak or cheesy. That, I think that's kind of like, for instance, the Finn ghost and then the ape. Like, these are two kind of cheesy things that really dig into some very important character building and relationship building and world building within the show. But the edifice that kind of surrounds it is just like, eh. Although, I mean, I can look back on the, the ape thing and be like, pawn is funny. <laughs> so let's have a pawn a party, guys. Well, let's start out with... Let's start out with some major themes that were touched on in these episodes. And Joe, let's let's start with you. You pre- kind of preface this like you had a conversation with your girlfriend to come yeah, up with like, some of these. Well, stuff. I was actually it was kind of it was kind of a, a lovely moment. Like we were like watching uh, some of the episodes, and she unprompted like paused the TV and like kind of went off on a rant. And I was like, oh, look <laughs> at you taking look at you taking an interest in my interests. Um, Aww. But, I know, right? Uh, so she actually was kind of, and like, you know, this was kind of a theme that, you know, I definitely like think is, is prevalent, um, where the adults on this show are kind of, to be honest, superfluous. Like they are just, if you removed all of them from the show, I feel like, uh, like Clark, Lexa, and Bellamy, and like all of the delinquents, once they kind of like got working together and got their shit together, things would have been okay. But the adults have a tendency to, like, come in after the fact and try and boss these kids around. And um, in our in our discussion, we were kind of trying to figure out, like, why it is that that maybe the kids, the delinquents are better. Uh, the delinquents and, and or I will I will actually include Lexa into this, if only for the fact of she is a similar age. Yeah. Um, that especially with the delinquents, her her feeling on this was that they, let's say that they're all 18 years old, like let's just, you know, round up uh, all of their ages or whatever. And so they only have 
approximately 18 years of life experience, to, to first of all. And their life experience is that of teenagers. Like, you know, Monty and, and Jasper were smoking weed and, you know, growing weed or whatever it is they were doing. And, you know, Bellamy was taking care of his sister and Clark was, you know, being goody two-shoes and an artist. But, like, <laughs> until, like, the whole thing with her dad happened, like, we assumed that she had a fairly normal childhood. And then they were all of a sudden just dropped into this, like, completely chaotic, bloody, crazy-ass, um, you know, environment uh, where Kids were dying, you know, such extreme violence. And so in some ways they had to like adapt super quickly and all of their sort of quote unquote worldview was built based on this environment. And so what, what, what girlfriend was talking about was that they don't bring the baggage of the sort of like very rigid culture of the arc, um, Mm -hmm. where, you know, Abby and Kane, uh, especially are trying to sort of understand this world in a framework that they can understand, um, which yeah. is not the correct <clears throat> framework for this world. And so, but, um, what, go ahead, but, sorry. Uh, yeah, if I may interject there, you, you yeah. can also, like, look at the amount of time that's spent between Kane, Abby, and Jaha talking about the chancellorship. Like, they are mm-hmm. so distracted by the political bullshit yeah. that the the actual act of surviving and understanding how to, to get along in the world uh, sometimes completely passes them by. So yeah, I mean, there is, you have a very good observation here, or perhaps I should credit your girlfriend. Um, yeah, no, she's, yeah, she's, she's the brains behind this operation. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was just, it was just a really kind of interesting conversation, um, about how these kids, even though they were, I mean, I guess we'll get into a little bit of PTSD in the next season, but mm. for all intents and purposes, you know, they, they, they have experienced all of these traumatic events, but it has actually served them very well in learning how to adapt and quickly um, respond to these sort of horrific and life or death situations where they don't deliberate. Like, especially in the last episode where Clark finding out that they're going to bomb Ton DC or whatever, you know, she was like, shit, I have to, you know, I'm not going to dilly dally about this. Like I'm riding a horse and I'm going to go talk to Lexa and, you know, Lexa very much, very quickly <laughs> under understood the sort of severity of the situation. Whereas, you know, Clark's mom was like, oh my God, we need to tell people or not tell people. And Clark is like, listen, that's, we, the world doesn't work that way anymore. Um, but anyway, we'll, uh, we'll get I into am, some favorite I, quotes I, about that. Uh, I kind of have a different take on that whole thing. I think Clark had a lot less agency than you might be giving her in that. You think Lexa bossed her? I think Lexa bossed her, but Clark is it was amenable to that point of view because it would save Bellamy and save their plan. But I don't think I, I have a whole I have a whole issue with that whole thing that we can that we can talk about later. So <clears throat> moving moving on, or were, did you uh, had, was that the conclusion of? Of kind of that yeah, theme. Yeah, I mean, and, I'm, I'm and sure it'll kind of be brought back up as we go through this, because that's, I think it's a very apt theme uh, in, in it these is. four episodes, especially. It is. And, and also, as an overall theme, I think it's very important because it, it rears its ugly head in season three with Pike kind of taking charge and and, and being fucking kind of- Fucking shit up. Fucking shit and being a bad actor in the world. And I mean, like, acting upon the world, not that-, that um, Mike Beach is a bad actor. He's a phenomenal actor. And I think that season four, we're probably going to see a lot of this leadership stuff rear its ugly head again. Um, And it should be fascinating how that is dealt with because these same dynamics are going to come up. And then you're going to have the dynamics of, well, 
who wants to fight to survive and who wants to just party on down? And then who is, you know, how, how is the, how are the grounders and sky crew going to get along and who's going to kind of take the forefront of that relationship? So I think there's going to be a lot of leadership dynamic moving forward and it should be fairly interesting to watch. I think this is a, I think this is an interesting theme. It's also problematic in that you're right. The adults kind of like fuck shit up. Adults are the worst, aren't they? They oh god, Shaheen, adults are Let's the go worst. Camp nowhere, all the way. <laughs> Camp nowhere. Okay, this is a reference that I don't get. It, it, so it was a movie in like the early '90s where like a bunch of kids convinced their parents that they're all going to these specialty camps. Like one kid's going to computer camp, one kid's going to like a dance camp or whatever, and one kid's going to like military school. Um, and they convinced Christopher Lloyd to pretend to be like sort of <laughs> in charge and like convincing all of these parents and Christopher Lloyd basically plays like a creepy old burnout back when like you could have an old man as a creepy old burnout in a kid's film and it wasn't weird um and then you know they like have to and it's, Good old days. you know what it actually kind of the beginning of that, that that movie actually kind of has a lot of a lot of similarities with uh the hundred in, you know, whatever the hell we want and sort of figuring out that whatever the hell we want is not a tenable uh, solution if you want to yeah. eat and sleep and, you know, not, I don't know, get trench foot or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> onward. Foot. Okay, so Shaheen, let's dive into one of your favorite themes of the, this arc of episodes. Do I get one? Well, let's see how, let's see how, how lengthy it is. Okay. Because you can get two if you can make it brief. We've got okay. guys. We've got a lot of things that we all want to discuss in these episodes. So uh, um, bear with us. Okay. So one of the things that I always liked about the the hundred is that um, when they said that they they're gonna have a truce and there's gonna be peace, it wasn't like uh, okay, we have peace now, everything's great. There was always there the the peace was always um, you know very tenuous. And uh, it was always like walking uh, on walking on thin ice, and um, and that's how it should have been. That's how I expected it to be. Uh, I mean, th- this show is kind of like a fast-paced version of the real world. Like things that happen within a couple of months. If you th- if you kind of imagine that instead of being at war for a couple of months, um, this was going on for like. Uh, a couple of decades, then it would make perfect sense that uh, even after people decide to have peace, there's something inside them that says we can't have peace with these people. And this is a problem in the real world. Um, so I'm glad that they're showing it in this show. Like the the incident at Ton DC where there was like, uh, they were just starting to build trust uh, and then it completely collapsed and then there was a training incident in camp jaha where that guy got into a fight with murphy um there was the whole thing with quaint trying to kill clark so all of these show that these people when they come into the same room they just kind of feel like it's as if the animosity is in their blood this is a topic that's um very interesting to me because i often think about how we can bring people who are fighting to a state of peace and uh, a lot of times, this is one of the big problems. Uh, if you look at, uh, there's a really interesting series of videos on YouTube um, called Ask a Palestinian, Ask an Israeli, 
where they uh, there's this guy who goes to in different places in Israel and Palestine and talks to people on the street uh, and asks them different questions. You can send him questions and he'll ask people. And it's very, very interesting to me because it's like a window into their life. And a lot of times on, on both sides, you hear the sentiment that uh, there will never be peace. Uh, it's impossible. We just can't have peace there. I mean, there are not that everyone says that, of course. There yeah. are people who, you know, who think that there's no problem, we can live together. But there's always a part of society that feels on both sides, that feels like because of what happened in the past, there's something that will never be reconciled, as it were. And they may be wrong about that, but that's how they feel. I'm glad that this, it, it, this keeps occurring in the show. Yeah, it seems to me like the trust... Even when there's just a little bit, it's so tenuous that it can be broken with, like, one slight action. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, like, and it's always, Shaheen, if you notice, it's always, like, the underlings, too. It's always the randos mm. that are causing problems. <laughs> it's never, mm. like, Clark and Lexa being, like, fuck you, fuck you, and then they, like, <laughs> fight. It's always these, like, random little foot soldiers that have these animosity towards one another because they're just they they don't see the bigger picture mm -hmm. and the other thing that i uh thought was um it's kind of related to this is this idea of we are the same or mm -hmm. we're not so different uh that, that is also a recurring theme and um you hear uh this this idea of we are the same in that dialogue between abby and clark where uh, in town DC, where Clark is like, you're talking about dad, and that's not the same. Uh, it's not the same as me killing Finn. You know, it's a completely different thing. And then she thinks about it for a moment, uh, and she's like, it is the same thing. We are the same. I mean, the a few details are different, but basically the same thing happened. You killed a, or allowed a person you love to be killed to save what you consider to be the greater good you yeah. know, or the other people that you felt responsible for. He, she came to this realization that we are the same. And uh, there was that scene in, uh, again, in town DC where Abby said, we're not so different this time with respect to the grounders. Right. So um, she felt like, yeah, sky crew and grounders aren't really that different. We do things a little differently, but basically uh, we have the same impulses and the same hangups and the same, you know, basic idea or rules in our society because, you know, we punish or get rid of people who we think are <clears throat> detrimental to our survival one way and they do it, you know, a different way. But it's basically the same, which is a, con a concept that we talked about before. And I kind of think that, well, if you're if you really hold them to the same standards, you can kind of make uh, some comparative judgments. Uh, it's not completely symmetrical, but but by and large, I agree that um, they're basically the same. No one has uh, the moral high ground. And I think that this is actually the first step towards peace, this realization that we are the same. And, yeah, because uh, it creates empathy and similarities. Mm -hmm. I think that yeah. whether whether you think that you're you're the one who has the moral high ground and you're the superior one, or if you think that it's all your fault and you know you're the one who fucked it up or yeah. whatever, if you have residual guilt. I think that 
either one of those things is, I mean, both of those things are detrimental to peace. I think that peace is possible when both sides realize we're basically the same and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter who started it. Um, it that, that's a moot point at this point. It doesn't even matter. It's so far in the past. And uh, so many things have happened since that uh, really the only question is, is there any difference between the two of us now? If we can both realize that we're all basically being stupid humans, <laughs> then we can start to have peace. And the problem, though, is that we see this on this show, this, these characters, these smart characters so quickly come to this realization that we are the same. But in, I think that in real life, it's actually very, very difficult to admit that you are the same as your opponent. I think that if Clark and Abby were real people, Clark would go to great length to try to prove that her situation was different and this is not at all the same in order to stay mad at Abby. And because she doesn't want, because it's too overwhelming for her to accept that she did the same thing that she was up until recently very upset about. Um, so I think you can see this in, in society where, you know, people who are, who criticize other people for lack of tolerance, you can see them be intolerant, um, towards other groups of people that they think are, it's okay to, uh, demonize or avoid, you know, um, I don't want to go into details of the examples, but, um, I think that it's it's good for everyone to take a moment and think about whether they're doing the same thing that they're fighting against or not. So this has been Morality Moment with Shaheen. <laughs> <laughs> um, to add on to that, Shaheen, um, I one of the one of the, the I think one of the the scenes and the quotes that we both liked, according to the show notes, was when when Bellamy ran into uh, the the kid of the guard that he killed mm-hmm. and. Maya basically said, well, what do you think you'd find here? It's mm-hmm. basically what you're saying is that did Bellamy expect that he would just find monsters that want to right. harvest grounders and, um, and sky crew for their blood dogs. bone marrow? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Service or, you know, <laughs> so basically, so that's bringing it back to the, we're all the same. There's little kids here. There's people, mm-hmm. you know, there's uh, quote unquote innocent people here that, that aren't necessarily, um, complicit with 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 what we're doing, so I think that theme kind of kind of runs parallel both to Sky Crew and Grounders, but it also it makes you think a, a little bit about the folks in Mount Weather too, and their mm-hmm. and how they're the same as well, because you know they didn't find monsters there; they found little kids going to class like mm-hmm. like anybody else. So one of the one of the themes, uh, so one of the themes that I like, and it kind of is a theme slash character arc, is the whole idea of what leadership represents. And my take on it, after watching these episodes and then looking looking back in the past to what we've already watched, and then looking into the future for what we can expect in the next four episodes, and then in season three, is leadership is a son of a bitch, and nobody should ever want it. So Clark is kind of saddled with this role as leader, and it's hard for me to to know exactly when she becomes this person. 
Um, of, of course, there's moments, there's a ton of moments in season one where she takes the initiative and she becomes the leader. But in season two, it's fairly obvious that she is the leader. Bellamy basically says, if I'm going to take orders from you, I have to know the reason why. She tells Abby, she tells Abby, you know, you might be the chancellor, but I'm in charge. She's the one that meets with Alexa. She's the one that's making decisions. But it, I don't really know at one point she took on the mantle of leadership. And I don't know if we're ever supposed to really know or if this is just Clark as a tryhard. But it's obvious to me that it is not a it is not a role that Clark wears easily. And what I mean by that is it wears her the fuck down. Um, she might be a good leader, but she is not suited emotionally, I think, to it. Because if you really look at the, the person that Clark becomes halfway through season two and then on to season three, you, you can take a step back and go, you know what? She's missing a lot of that spark that she used to have. She's missing the humanity and the warmth that she used to have. The same person that, that hugs Raven in, oh, what is it? episode four of this season, I believe, or episode five, and, and reunites with Bellamy and with Octavia, that person does not exist in these four episodes. Well, I th- there's that scene where Raven hugs her before she goes to Ton DC, yes. and Clark like looks like she's like, wait, how do hug? How I do hugs uh, work? <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly, yeah. Joe. That's the exact scene I'm thinking of where she doesn't know how to be a human with people anymore. Um, she doesn't know how to love. She doesn't. She doesn't understand love in her heart anymore. And that same person is the same person that doesn't know how to reciprocate a hug from Abby in season three when they reunite in Polis. Um, and that same person is the same person that is a shell of a human being in 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 episodes one and two and throughout really the whole season when we're talking about season three. And she is, and, and being a leader means that you are often questioned by the people that you lead. You know, there's a lot of times where Clark is like, I can't save them. I don't know what to do next. And everyone's like, well, you're supposed to know what to do. What, what's your next plan? What is your answer to this? Clark often doesn't know what the next step is, but everyone looks to her for that leadership. And when she fails in the moment, they are quick to judge her. They are quick to call her out. And the only person that has any sort of empathy and equal equality when it comes to leadership is Lexa. And that's where the whole dynamic between Clark and Lexa takes place. Throw away the romantic shit and talk about um, the the give and take of, of leadership philosophy that they both trade with one another. I think Clark is somewhat negatively affected by the grounder way of doing things. And I'm a huge fan of Lexa. I'm a huge fan of that relationship. But if you take a step back and you look at it and you're like, you look at what Clark becomes and the lengths that she has to go to, to be a leader. She, she takes a lot of, of, um, she takes a lot of cue from Lexa and well, okay. And just, just to, to follow, just to finish this thought. So she takes a lot of her cue from Lexa. And as soon as we get to Rubicon and the Tandy C decision, the definition of Rubicon means that you have crossed a line that you cannot ever come back from. You have irrevocably crossed a certain line. So I think that 
Clark, through these four episodes, this is her Rubik. The whole episodes are her Rubicon. She starts it with the, the death of Finn and ends it basically with the, uh, the, the radiation of Mount Weather. And it destroys her. Leadership destroys her. The responsibility of making this, these decisions destroy her. And that's what gives us what we see in, in season three that I have often criticized about the characterization in Clark in season three. And now that I'm like doing this rewatch, it makes a lot more sense. Now saying that I don't like it because (laughs) I expect more out of my main character. And I I guess I watched season two with these dark Clark colored glasses thinking, Oh, she's such a badass. She's making these great decisions. She's like telling Abby that she's the one in charge, but in a greater context of things, the kind of the destruction of herself begins halfway through season two. And it's not a hero turn or a great dark Clark arc. <laughs> it is really the downfall of a great character who is burdened by the shit that she has to do and burned by the expectations that people have of her. I think this is one of the major points where uh, you and I differ, Jen, because I like the fact, one of the things that I like about The 100 is the fact that none of our main characters, first of all, none of them is perfect. And uh, second of all, they're not even necessarily um, superheroes or anything. And and, and they're not even better than... um, the uh, a lot of the antagonists or or the so-called quote-unquote villains okay. there and in a way there are no villains in the show i mean look at dante dante is basically an old version of clark or if you think of you know a lot of other people um yeah on this show like um roan for example is looks like he's just another person who is not our main character but his um has his own journey though. You well, know. okay, so to counterpoint that, Shaheen, I basically came up with this whole idea of Clark's be, uh, Clark's crossing that Rubicon mid-season two and that carrying through season three um, just basically today uh-huh. when I was thinking of the greater context. And I'm saying that I don't I, – I say that I don't like it, but I don't know if I don't like it yet because I haven't had the time to really form – a seasoned opinion on it. I didn't, so Shahinda also add to that. I did not like Clark's character progression through season three. I thought she had very little agency. Mm-hmm. I thought she was kind of, um, muted. Um, and that's in, what I'm saying. I like that. I think that yeah, I, I, so, I, it's great that the characters ebb and flow. It's great that they take on important roles and then they, uh, are, go to the margin for a while, you know, uh, I like it. I don't want, uh, anyone to be special because no one in the real world is special. So I guess what I'm doing is I'm taking what I perceived happened with Clark in season two, um, and projected it onto season three. And now doing this rewatch is completely flipped my view of, of what was actually going on in season two. Uh Um, I, I saw her as conflicted, but I didn't see her as being worn down consistently 
by the burdens of leadership and having bits and pieces of of her soul basically removed by the decisions that she was forced to make. So that's that's kind of the perspective I'm coming from. So maybe when we get into season three, I'll have a little bit more of an enlightened view. But that's just kind of that's just kind of my take um, as far as her my new take as far as her progression from season mid season two into season three. I, I would think that in sort of so in a way of to speak what you what you were talking about with as far as Clark's art goes and everybody being really hard on her and stuff. My only world building moment then then that I would like to bring up is the fact that at some at one point the delinquents were talking about um, when they kind of realized that shit was going down at Mount Weather and saying you know they lied to us about everything. Clark was, Clark, was right. Right. Clark was right. Clark was right. She was like, it's they're Clark. still betting against Clark. The fact that people like, and that's fine. That's fine. We're still only in season two, but the fact that we go into season three betting against Clark, um, just blows my fucking mind. Um, well, I'm it, not betting against Clark. I mean, maybe, you, yeah, but maybe you're, Jasper is, um, maybe Bellamy is a little bit because of what, what she did at the end. Um, right. The but, only yeah. ones who didn't bet against Clark at that point were Kane and and her mom. And that didn't end very well for either of them. Um, not in death necessarily, but, you know, betting against Clark, it's not it's not the not the smart move. Well, yeah. but no one is betting against Clark because they think she's not smart or that she she doesn't have. She doesn't make good predictions. <laughs> they bet against her people. because <laughs> she decides that 250 people deserve to die for her to oh, it's carry out her stupid plan. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, Clark's decisions usually end in lots of people dying. <laughs> um, but again... Yes. Again, like with her leadership, when people when people are like, "What do we do now, Clark?" and Clark's like, "I don't know," she turns that around on several people and is like, "Okay, give me a better plan." Most notably, like at the end of season two, where where she suggests irradiating level five and killing everybody, and Bellamy's like, "We can't do that," and she's like, "Well, uh, what are my other options? Give me a better." Well, that's controversial because Jasper think. Thinks that he did have another option. Jasper's option. I mean, I'll have to rewatch because I don't really remember it a hundred percent. But I feel like Jasper thinking that he can take on everything is. It honestly, like again, like it, this will require rewatch. But for, my memory of it was he is a teenager in that moment. Yeah, like, yeah. No, exactly. I, I think we he's should not, talk about it when we get there. But ability. I disagree. I think that I mean whether whether or not Jasper's specific plan was going to work um there's no um there was no indication that uh that that was the only there was no reason to think that that was the I, only option at that point yeah the only well, reason we, clark we, did we, that was because of abby but we should talk about that later yeah we'll, we'll get into that rabbit hole i'm i'm certain we'll have like a pretty heated discussion over that because i have some very specific uh points of view about that whole that whole episode and the who makes all the decisions there? It's Clark. Um, so let's move on. Kind of, I guess a world building moment that kind of also leads into some character arcs that I think a lot of us enjoy is that there are a couple folks within Sky Crew that that try to build bridges with the grounders and become kind of the links to the grounders. So I think obviously Clark is one of them. Um, when she, when, when they're burning fins and everybody else's body and she says, you can play stay olden, 
Um, that shows the grounders and it shows Alexa that she is trying to understand and learn their culture. And I think that is a sign of respect that earns her respect. Um, Kane is kind of the same way. Um, I, I view Kane and Clark as having very similar characteristics when it comes to trying to build bridges with the, with grounders. But I think the biggest one is Octavia and, 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 and Kane even tries to leverage her as a, I don't want to say a pawn, but leverage her in the relationship with Sky Crew um, so they can better understand and trust one another. And I think like in our character arcs, I think we all kind of really dug how Octavia became like this badass, especially in the uh, in Survival of the Fittest, which obviously is kind of a double entendre. It's talking about like uh, Clark and Lexa versus wildlife. <laughs> and then it's talking about Octavia versus the grounder and who can survive. Is she fit to survive? Are Clark and Lexa fit to survive? I think Octavia is like her moment where she's fighting that grounder dude. And like, she slow-mo rises from, from like the ashes and <laughs> will not, she will not quit. She will, there is no quit in this girl. And she gains everyone's respect in that moment. That's a grounder. She gains Indra's respect, who extends uh, an offer of being her second. Um, the, the dude she was fighting with is the one who um, offers her food when they come back from hunting and says like the, the deer or whatever, put up a better fight. Like, Hey, grounder comedy. But I so love that moment where she's just like, fuck it. You're going to have to kill me because I'm not giving up. Um, what you guys, what were some of your favorite character building or character arc moments in these four episodes? Let's start with... Uh, uh, did we move on with, from world building? Yeah, our world building moments were kind of, eh. Uh, so I think character arcs are a little stronger when, it, when we're talking can about... Can I just say that the, uh, the we saw the burned up on DC sign in this episode in okay. one of these right. episodes. So honesty check here. <laughs> Who figured out that Ton DC meant Washington DC before you saw the sign? I mean, how Anyone? would we have known that? Like, I, I think. So I nobody, mean, nobody was like Ton DC, Ton DC. That sounds like Washington DC. And they're close. The, the, the uh, Lincoln Memorial statue is there. Like, did so we see the Lincoln Memorial the statue before. I guess yes. we did. Yes, we saw the Lincoln Memorial statue before because we see Tawn DC later on. I don't remember then if I figured it out. Um, Well, see, that's when you're like, oh, I'm such a dummy because I didn't figure it out because you've already had the (laughs) hints of of their location. So I'm not the only dummy in this podcast. Is what you're trying to say. Yes, I I appreciate that. Because I thought it was like, like, uh, like it was like T O N D. D-E-E-C-E-E or something like that. I thought it was like one big huge word. And then it's like, mm. oh, Tom DC. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> Good. Um, I hope our listeners, listeners, if, if you didn't figure it out either, you are in the best company in the world because we're... Or we're, worse, we th- whatevs. We, yeah, because we think yeah. we're smart, but we also might overestimate uh, our intelligence as well. So, yeah, so I, I, I kind of like, like that too. A- in some ways, I kind of like that they leave some of these world building aspects as like little nuggets for people who yeah. pay a lot of attention or watch it 10 million times. Yeah, um, like Ontari, um, Ontario. Yeah, like Canada. this sign or, you know, all these uh, like the different the 12 clans, they put so much thought into it. Like they all have their own banners and their own costumes and everything. 
but um, they don't capitalize on it at all. Yeah, they so. they don't they don't open the kimono right away. They don't show you everything and over explain everything. They kind of like yeah. give you bits and pieces. I, I really like that too, Shaheen. Yeah. So let us talk about character arcs. I already talked about Octavia and how awesome her turning into a badass is. Um, and, and Clark. And and Clark, yeah. I mean, my uh, I I kind of combined a, a, a an overarching uh, over arcing theme of leadership and Clark's character arc. So, Shaheen, let's talk about some of your uh, favorite character arcs. I just want to talk about Jaha. Uh, I oh, think- Danny will be so pleased. Danny's like, she's like putting her, she's putting her smoking jacket on right now and just like <laughs> lean, leaning closer to her radio, which is what you would do in like the 1930s. She's like, oh, mm-hmm. preach, brother, preach. I have like 10 bullet points for character arcs, but I'm going to talk about Jaha because Let's do it. this character is awesome. I love how it's so well written. Um, the, my favorite type of storytelling and character in general is when the character makes sense um, within the fantasy world of the story, but it, it's also uh, has, it, it's a great sort of callback or tribute to some something that you might know from uh, literature or philosophy or history or what have you right mm. and um, so it's so that it's not like in your face I, I wrote this character because I wanted to talk about this thing um, it's actually a story that makes sense but at the same time uh, it has that other uh, symbolic aspect that's my favorite type of um, Symbolism, and I think Jaha is a perfect example of it. Uh, everything that he does makes sense to me, given what happened to him. I mean, he was a person who had to make very difficult decisions to save his people, and he ended up having to sacrifice himself for them. Uh, he ended up evading death several times in way, you know, in miraculous ways, and he he realizes that, and uh, he lost his son during this whole process. Uh, and now he's down, he's come back to the ground and his people who he sacrificed so much for uh, just to bring them to a better place are in a completely different place now. Uh, they don't listen to him um, and they're just going in a direction that he thinks is wrong because he still has that goal of finding that better place. Yeah, they've and, kind of outgrown him at some point. Yeah, I mean, and he, quickly, he can't accept but they, that. they've done it. Right. So he has to think of himself as this person who's going to bring an, an alternative that no one has thought of, you know, because mm-hmm. given in the framework of the alternatives that they ha- are uh, busy with now, he has no place and he, he can't accept it. Um, and so you might off, you might hear, you might have heard that Jaha was Jesus in season one and Moses in season two, um, because in season one, you know, he had the 12 disciples 12 stations one of which betrayed him and you know he had to sacrifice himself to save humanity and then in season two you know dude going through the desert in search of a promised land you know clearly moses but i would argue that jaha is abraham from uh kierkegaard's fear and trembling he is uh the knight of faith he is the man who is given a mission, is given an impossible mission uh, that requires him to violate all rules of normal rules of 
morality and the universal laws of ethics and, you know, the need to talk to other people. He's given this order to go murder his own son. He has to either have faith in God, who's given him this order, uh, and violate all the universal rules of ethics um, and social conduct and, and um, consent and agreement, or uh, because he has to hide it from everyone too. Uh, you know, he has to write a letter and, you know, sneak it in, tell Sinclair not to show it for two days because he can't reveal his mission to other people, which means he's violating their the general rules of social conduct. And uh, he chooses to have faith and he chooses to um, go through with this. Well, let and, me ask you, let me ask you, though, Shaheen, who does he have faith in? Yeah, so he has because I mean, throw this... throw away God because that that that's right. ridiculous, right? Like in this he case, has faith in himself. Does he have he faith in faith... the city of light or like who? Yeah, I, he I believes that there is a place where everyone can um, be accepted and live in peace, and he has faith in that. That part, mm-hmm. what exactly uh, he has faith in is one thing, and then the fact that he has to basically choose his own morality now because of this uh individual mission that he's given uh that he's been given is a different issue you know and um but you're right like in this case it's not god right yeah um but but he has faith in this other thing then when you look at murphy it's perfect the the way that they paired up jaha with murphy and it's almost like they were planning this all along but i'm sure that wasn't the case but it just works perfectly because um, Murphy is in some ways a completely different character but who ends up doing a lot of the same things as Jaha and he keeps saying that he has no faith he just has nothing better to do so (laughs) he's bored (laughs) yeah he's like uh he's what Nietzsche would call a positive nihilist so um he he's realized that the very idea of faith in some better world um, that's better and more nobler and more uh, real than ours, uh, that sets you up for nihilism. Because soon enough, you're going to realize that that idea was a, um, a fantasy, and then everything's going to lose meaning. If you think that the values and uh, me- the meaning of existence and life has something to do with some higher entity, some higher plane of existence if once you realize that that's gone everything loses value Mm -hmm. murphy is the guy who decides to affirm life despite that despite the fact that he knows that really deep down nothing has value uh and everything is just different people's perspectives you know but he uh decides to affirm life with all of his suffering he would rather um play bonnie and clyde with outcasts in in the desert than go searching for some heaven. Um, but he ends yeah, up yeah. doing a lot of the same things as Jaha does, uh, which is a, is, is a fascinating pairing here, where the, the nihilist and the knight of faith mm-hmm. do end up doing taking the ser- same journey or sharing a great part of their journey with each other. So, so let, me ask you, let me ask you this, Shaheen. Did, did you... Did you draw any sort of parallel between the chess piece and your Knight of Faith opinion? Wow, I didn't even think of that. 
That's interesting. Oh, I wonder if there was like some sort of subconscious thing where you're like, night, 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 night of faith. Night of faith. That's awesome. Yeah. Isn't it though? You know, it's, it's just like curious, like, are these, are these takes just like our interpretations or, or is there, is there a, is there an intention here on the part of the creators and the writers to actually draw these parallels right i mean like i've never heard of this night of faith thing from kierkegaard and i have a not to brag on myself or anything but i have a a, a minor in philosophy mm-hmm. i guess i just didn't pay attention <laughs> um but i think this is this is really fascinating stuff because like like you see like that whole night of faith really playing itself out in season three because mm-hmm. he will do anything. He he does throw ethics out the fucking window mm-hmm. in season three. And then like Murphy is like you call him a a positive nihilist, but I'm mm-hmm. like he's almost an accidental optimist at times. Um and I think a a large part due to his relationship with uh, with Amori in, in season especially in season three, but it's like, there's, there's some points where just like, why is Murphy following Jaha? He hates Jaha. Jaha killed his dad. But like, why is Murphy on like along for this journey? Is it just because he needs to be? What part of Murphy? uh, Like, Joe, do you have any like thoughts as to like why Murphy is doing this? Sorry. I'm just going to say one, this one thing and then I'm going to shut up. One thing that I think maybe I didn't emphasize um, was the positive nihilist and the night of faith have one thing in common, which is basically the running theme from Kierkegaard to Nietzsche, which is setting your own values. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both choose their own values in life. Um, so uh, taking off and going into, into the desert is sort of uh, symbolizes that choosing your own values over the common values of society. So there's a par- there's a f- philosophical parallel there between the two. Yeah. Kierkegaard and Nietzsche. Folks, if you're listening to this, you might as well just like mark this down for a college course credit. Like at <laughs> least a, a 300 level college course credit. Joe, I know that one of your character arcs was Murphy. Like what is your take? Why does Murphy choose to go on this journey with Jaha? I mean, I I think if you asked Murphy, it would be because where the fuck else is he going to go? Like, Jaha, as much as he hates Jaha, yeah. um, I think it, Murphy obviously doesn't feel safe or comfortable uh, with his own people. He knows for a fact that he is not safe, nor is it comfortable to be in the company of the Grounders since he was tortured with them. Um, and so I think Jaha sort of offers him a way out. And as long as he sees moving forward with Jaha as a tenable situation. Um, I think that Cockroach Murphy is going to keep on, you know, following those, you know, trail of, of crumbs. Um, I think so, that he thinks that Jaha is full of shit, but yeah. I also think that there's sort of a curiosity that Murphy has sort of, he is, as we've mentioned, he is the, the Greek chorus of, of the show in a lot of ways. And so I think that he just feels this urge to, be there in observation. Um, I think that he's there kind of for the adventure, but not in a swashbuckling way. In in a like he wants to see things, and I, I and I think that at each time something goes wrong, I mm-hmm. think it sort of grinds him down a little bit. Of 
it not that he thinks that it's his fault, but I think it's sort of a uh, you know, why do all of these terrible things keep happening to me? Um, <laughs> yeah, kind of thing. I mean, is it is it karma after all the terrible things that he's done? I think I think assuming at this point that everyone believes that the City of Light is a physical place, I think Murphy's like, let me just get there and then I can do my own thing. I can ditch the rest of yeah. these fuckers and do my own thing. And I can understand that from the point of view that kind of in parallel to Octavia in season three, he doesn't feel like he fits in with anybody. And a lot of that is is due to his own his own actions. I mean, he was he was a dick in season one, and he set himself apart through his actions and his demeanor from a lot of the other folks, from a lot of the other delinquents. And he he earned a lot of enemies um, through his actions. Well, oh, but but here's the thing: like in terms of where you know this was listed as the MVP, if it wasn't for Murphy, they would not have gotten directions to the City of Light. Like well, that's that, just because he's cute, and Amori found him cute. Let's be yeah. honest. Let's <laughs> be no, honest. no, Amori found him cute, but he was also like charming, and he he made it so oh, like yeah. I, he yeah. made it. He was the he was the MVP. He was the only reason because otherwise Jaha would have led them. God only knows where. Like Jaha had the <laughs> faith, but Murphy had the fucking map. And I feel like Murphy doesn't get enough credit for that. Like, he flirted his way. Granted, he it ended disappointingly for him. Yeah. But, you know, if it weren't you know, for Murphy, there wouldn't be a city of light. Good job, if you, Murph. If you kind of, like, if you kind of, like, look at Murphy in second half of season two and through season three, and you go, if he could have just applied those skills in first half of season one, or, or I mean, all of season one and then first half of season two, it's like... He could have been ruling everybody because the dude's charming. The dude's he's charming. Super he's smart. smart. He reads people really, really well, and he has the ability to. He has the he ability. Doesn't sugarcoat to, at all. Like he doesn't sugarcoat, but it's weird, dudes. Like he can connect to people in in very strange ways. Like I feel like he and Raven connected in. I believe it was the first episode of season two where they're in the dropship and she's dying and, and he's kind of explaining who he is. I think Raven kind of like sees that vulnerability in him. Like he can, he can connect with people in a very different way. He connected with Antari who was like, a compl- I mean, I mean, no, absolutely no offense to the actress. They completely just like did nothing with that character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. He connected with this very one-dimensional villain, but you kind of believed it, and you were like, you know, yeah. Murphy is saving his own skin. Like Murphy, yeah. If he hadn't been such a dick in season one, he could have ruled them all. Exactly. Clark well, and Bellamy could- and Kane and Abby and everybody would have been taking directions from Murphy. Um, I was gonna say that you could argue that ever since. Murphy was hanged. He is basically a, a dead person who came back and yeah. is uh, reflecting on life now. As and you know, like it's kind of like interview with he's a vampire. Casper the friendly, the um, Casper the friendly ghost. Yeah, he's like he, he's now transcended all these uh, petty um, mortal concerns. M- right, exactly. The, 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 mor- the he has, he has mortal desires. Let loose the mortal coil. Right, because yeah, he he's, have to he's gone fuck. through the the worst of it, and yeah. uh, he understands to, to how much people are the way they are because they can't help it. Like mm-hmm. I said, he he 
understands that um, there's ultimately no meaning to any of it, um, but he chooses to affirm it and um, enjoy it. And, well, I think, and Mori I think... is the perfect person for him to connect to. Um, oh, man. <laughs> you know, the, the physical manifestation of suffering um, on earth is a Mori. And uh, he, he loves to court her. I think, like, there's this weird sort of persistent nobility about Murphy as well. Like, Shaheen, I think you're really right. There is a rebirth of Murphy after he's hanged. And he does kind of, he, he emerges from that kind of one-dimensional bully-type dude into the Murphy we see today. And, you know, guys, it's a blessing that we got him as a season regular in season three because he was fan-fucking-tastic. But if you think about, like, a lot of his actions, you cannot conceive of a Murphy, like, if you're just, like, looking at season one, beginning of season one, and, like, thinking of Murphy, there's no way you could conceive that this dude would fight so hard, not only for his own survival, but the survival of of his quote-unquote friends and his people. Like, is that the, is that the same dude that is pumping, <laughs> you know, dead Antares blood into Clark at the end of season three? Like, how how is that possible? There is, like, this quiet this quiet nobility about him where in key moments he steps up and is the most key player in the game. He is the most brave person in the game. And it's, it's often reluctance, but it's also something like a responsibility that Murphy doesn't shirk as well. I'm like, dude, like the character is so well written and so well acted. We're like so lucky to have Richard Harmon in this role and have this role because it's so nuanced and it's so interesting to talk about. All of these characters, it's amazing to me. They keep introducing new characters and they're all awesome. Like Dude. Echo, Emori, <laughs> I was Maya, thinking about that. Every one of like they it's just this show is awesome with these oh, characters. And then they kill them. Like, and then they all like, have oh. layers. It's well, but amazing. No, but, but dude, I was thinking Shaheen, I was thinking about that. Like watching these, I was thinking the exact same thing watching these four, uh, these four episodes is that when they introduce a new character, that character comes with so many layers and so much flavor to them mm-hmm. that it's amazing how, how in very little screen time you get a very concise view of her, who that person is. And mm-hmm. you're super interested in them. And you're super interested in what's going to happen next. Like there are very, very few instances where you're like, ah, that well, character didn't. Even uh, yeah. I'm sorry, but even Gina in season three, who is fridged like, like motherfucker, <laughs> she had some flavor to her in her banter with Raven. That was mm-hmm. like, dude, I want to get well, to know more about this character. She seems kind of sassy, no, even though she, did, she was but, just but a plot they... plot device. Right. I think that that's where season three dropped the ball is that they had so much potential with these other characters, but then either they killed them off too soon or they just didn't give them any depth. Um, well, I think the, what the we story was too. Okay. So I think in season three, the story was too big to also accommodate character development. No, for sure. But, like, but, uh, yeah, but it but was just still, kind of I like, mean, to be fair, disappointing. I'm allowed to be disappointed. No, I mean, given, we, given we're how all allowed good. To, to love and hate the things that we love and hate. Well, how to be good fair, like I was. mean, think of how many characters they introduced in season three. Like percentage-wise, if you think of how many of them were disappointing, the other shows don't even 
introduce new characters that are fascinating like this at any rate that's anywhere near this. So, I mean, think of, there's Roan, there's Titus, there's, yeah. you know, the list goes on and on and they're all awesome. So, so I, guess, I guess you could say the reach was beyond their grasp in season three. Yeah, yes. I mean. T- small, yeah. small hands. Small hands. Yeah, yeah, small hands like like Donald Trump. <laughs> I was going to go with um, Carnies, but same but, samesies. But this kind of this kind of um, this kind of dovetails into into some of the the news coming out of TCA's this past week about the show. Um, CW President Mark Pedowitz, who is probably one of the most visionary um, network presidents um, among the broadcast networks, did say that that he kind of missed the intimacy. Uh, in season three, and that season four is going to kind of kind of go back to that intimacy between characters, um, and and making it smaller in in how people interact with each other. So I think um, I don't know how I feel about that. I know everyone's well, excited, I, but I don't know. I think people are excited because I think the heart of the show is really the character interaction and how people grow together or grow apart. And, and Mark also, I'm being very familiar with the dude. Mr. Pedowitz also said that besties. he has a you know, besties. <laughs> um, call, call me Mark. Um, he also has a lot of faith in the show, even after the um, controversies of season three, that they learned, they learned a lot of lessons and he said specifically around their social media engagement, which I wish they he had said they learned a lot of lessons about representation and how it needs to be presented on TV and more deeply considered. I think he he had an opportunity there to make a, a deeper statement in regards to that. But so I think we've got got a lot of cues to what we should be looking forward to in season four. And I think that that kind of intimacy that we had in a lot of in season one. And then of course, in in different bits and pieces in season two is going to come back to the forefront in season four. And I think a lot of people save for perhaps Shaheen is really excited about that. (laughs) Shaheen's not going to watch season four. He's not excited about it. Fuck it. Our season, our season four episode podcast are just going to be like, so (laughs) Shaheen, what did you think about blah, blah, blah? crickets i hated it i didn't watch it um there was i'm gonna do my own podcast and i'm gonna take all of your listeners you're not no one is gonna listen to you guys anymore (laughs) oh fuck you sideways shaheen and i I will tell them to boycott you i will tell them at the beginning of every podcast because all of them will they will do your bidding you you are the alley of the podcast listeners Yes. Let's talk about favorite quotes. Yeah, let us let us talk about um, only because mine is the best. So in the in the show notes, you're like Jen. Why do you always got to steal my fucking favorites? Pick new ones. It's not like it. Look, I'm fairly transparent. Whenever there's a quote about Clark being a badass, that's gonna be my favorite quote. Yeah. No, no, no. That's that's fine. I've accepted that that one's not gonna be my favorite. Um, so obviously the one in bold. Once I realize that that. That was really the best quote. I love, I love the one in bold. So go ahead, Joe. What is your favorite quote? Speaking so, of badass, can I just say, yeah. Joe asked me last last time who, who I think is badass. Yeah. Or what counts as badass for me. Uh, I think I figured it out. Um, okay. Maya is a badass. 
Maya is a badass. Yes. If there's the one show, person who's a badass, kind of in my Maya. opinion, it's Maya. She's she doesn't fight. She doesn't have know how to wield the sword. She doesn't shoot a gun. She doesn't ride hot horses. She doesn't she drive cars. What they're doing is but wrong. she like, is a rebel. Is like a horse. Yeah. Anyway, she, she's a rebel, and uh, she knows what she believes in, and she sticks to it. She's putting herself awesome. at a great, great risk for yeah. something that she knows is right and wrong. Like, yeah, she's willing to go against her people. Interesting. I like Maya. I like Maya too. I wish, yeah, I wish she had lived. I think that's been interesting. <laughs> so yet again, with more three-dimensional red shirts. <laughs> I feel like Damn we get it. a lot of 3D red shirts on this Damn show. Like I feel like that's the problem. Well, that's what makes uh, it we start high stakes. You can't have both. You can't want your show to be high stakes and not want good characters to die. Writing, writing depth into red shirts is caring. I hate it. Stop it, 100 writers. Why can't you write one-dimensional people that we don't care about? <laughs> Damn it. Like I'm, I am emotionally attached to Kane's beard. It's, it's not even a lie. Well, watch, I, he's gonna shave it off next season, and you're if just he shaves weep. it off next season, this podcast is canceled. My blog is canceled. I'm going to just sleep like nonstop for the six months. Like I, I will go into a deep, deep depression. Dear writers, don't shave that Shaheen, sexy thing. Do you still want to keep going with the podcast? <laughs> I thought we established that uh, Shaheen was ditching us like a bad prom date and starting no, his own likes, podcast. No, he likes me more than you. <laughs> um, okay, I think I shouldn't comment on this. Something's telling <laughs> me I, this is no, not, no good can come out of saying anything about what Joe just said. So let's just move on. Listeners, please note the, the birth of our eventual breakup starts here. Today. <laughs> Mark All right, this so in your calendars. So, Joe, let uh, yeah. hit us with your favorite quote. Okay, Carl Emerson, <laughs> Mount Weather Security Detail, <laughs> said by Carl Emerson, Mount Weather Security Detail, spelled incorrectly. Emerson with one M. Uh, and then, and then my what, other. What's up with World War Two manners? What is what's up with Reddit? That? Fucking loves that. What did you say, Shaheen? Oh, I said, what's up with World War Two manners? What do you mean, World War Two manners? You Where saying? you know, there's this thing they say that when soldiers used to get oh, captured in World War II, that's that's with all soldiers. They just they just do name and rank. Yeah, that's what, that's, I mean that's, that's I don't taught. know if that's actually true, but that's something that people believe. And like, well, why I is Carl is Emerson doing that? That's, anyway, because it's because after a certain point, it just becomes hilarious. And the fact that the <laughs> fandom just decided that that was his entire t- like you can't mention him without saying <laughs> without the his yeah. whole yeah. rank detail. and title. And um, and on Reddit, it's usually in uh, uh in superscript, so it's Carl Emerson superscript. Oh, weather security detail. Because you um, have to include even it. Clark like buys of- into it. She's like Carl Emerson, Mount Weather Security Detail. He's like, <laughs> like You're every- damn because right. that's his name. Um, my other favorite quote would have have to be, "You may be the chancellor, but I'm in charge." Because- that's everyone's fucking favorite. Because quote. obviously, yes, anyway, Queen. That's yes, yes. I've already yes, gotten my queen. my good one out of the way. Uh, that's like everyone's favorite quote because that is like so <laughs> if you like watch that whole scene and then like so she does that quote and then she starts with the with the giving Emerson his instructions and and then depletes his air by two hours she has this fucking grin on her face and you know <laughs> that's like Eliza Taylor with just like kind of breaking character being I'm kind of a badass right now so <laughs> hope everyone's taking notice like that whole 
That was cold ass bitch right there when she's like, oh, so it's an eight hour trip back to Mount Weather? Make it in six. That was so I feel like maybe maybe we could just read it like when she is talking to her mom. Like we can almost just read it as like really fucking high stakes angsty teenager. Like she doesn't have a door to slam and like scream I hate you and like listen to One Direction. So instead she like nearly kills a man and like bombs the city. But you'll Um, notice who is she backed up by? She's backed up by Indra and the Grounders and Octavia. Like she has earned their fucking respect at that point. She's like, well, I love the, the giant guard, oh. the mountain that she basically has carrying around with her. And she has to be like, stop drawing your sword. You need to stop drawing your sword. Oh, Back the yeah. fuck up. Stop drawing your sword. Also, Speaking of the oxygen thing, um, that's <laughs> her first decision as commander in chief is to. That's not her first decision, dude. <laughs> trust, trust me. That's yes, not it her is. first decision. It's right no, no, after no, no, no. she says, I'm in charge. And Abby budges. Then the first decision she makes is to lower this guy's oxygen oh, and send him yeah. on a mission that is going to kill him so that he gives them a message that makes them bomb you. I like, that's to the stupidest that, decision actually. she could make. When you look at the ultimate decision that was at the end of season two, Clark sets herself on a collision course with that decision because of what she did to Emerson in in that episode where she's basically like, here's your six hours of oxygen. Hope you make it, dude. She set her up herself up as a huge threat to Dante and Cage and basically created a huge game of chicken. So at the end of season two, there was no other outcome for anybody, right? Mm. So, you know, Clark... I think Clark that's always like, true in every season. <laughs> No, but, but I think I really think like I I'm I'm really convinced that Clark sets herself up for success slash failure when she decides to do what she does with Emerson. She mm. she makes herself a huge threat. She makes herself the leader who's making decisions, and there there's you know there's no way for for Dante slash Cage or Clark to diverge from their past when they finally come to a head in in at the end of, of season three. So I think that's a really, really important scene. I was always like, this is the most badass scene ever. Clark is being a badass. And then again, go, calling back to my reconsideration of, of Clark's character in season two, this is this is this is a Lexa decision. This is Lexa kicking that dude off the the Polis Tower. This is not a Clark decision. This is not a human decision. The Clarks make like a warm, not a warm decision, but like Clark in season one had a humanity to her that I think really bonded her with Bellamy, and well, I think at first set her in just juxtaposition to Bellamy because he was kind of a a, a jerk to begin with. And her humanity really, you know, showed through in season one. And then this is just like, like, I would bell, like, if Bellamy was there, would he be like, dude, Clark, come on, dude? Like, would he have been the voice of dissent and voice of, uh, you know, would he have been her conscience at that point? I'm like, how much of, of, of Clark's development or dissolution into less than what she used to be. How, how much of that is attributed to the absence of Bellamy in those situations? I do think that they, um, they kind of keep each other in check and um, kind of complement each other in a way that makes them great when they work together. I think most people agree with that. 
I I was gonna say that um, if you think of uh, the whole thing with what to do with Emerson um, and how everyone was making their decisions in that sequence of the scenes, you can clearly see that no one has their shit together. Like, um, <laughs> not not Abby, not Kane, not Clark. Um, they're all like they all have moments where they decide uh, on impulse. Like it's in it's, it's kind of weird. Like first, Kane is opposed to torturing. Emerson or or Kane wants to like for some reason Kane wants to torture him and then he's the one who stops Clark when she says let's torture him Um, whereas like Clark was the one who said torture doesn't work so it's just uh like it's clearly they they don't know what to do they're all just making it up as they go um which is great it's something that I like again uh, I so, don't know how you, how you feel about this, but I like it that even though Clark takes charge, it's not because she's clearly better than all of them. In yeah. like in that same episode, we can see that she doesn't even know, like at some point she wants to just open the door and kill Emerson. And so I, so right, okay. So Shaheen, I want to I want to like I want to stick on that point real quick because I think mm-hmm. it, it's an overlooked, very small micro moment in season two, mm-hmm. where. It's it's Kane, Abby, and Clark, and and Emerson is not providing any details, and and mm-hmm. and Kane and Abby are like doing their little Kane and Abby dynamic where they're debating on what they should do, and Clark's just like, I'm gonna kill him. Consider from Abby's point of view how horrified you would be to hear your daughter say, "You're just gonna kill a dude straight up in cold blood." Like mm-hmm. again, this is Clark in semi Lexa mode kicking a dude off a tower to prove a point. So I'm like, there's all these little moments that you kind of have to really pay attention to that really fill in what Clark is becoming throughout season two and into season three. That concerns me a bit as far as, is she ever going to come back from this? Is she ever going to regain that warmth, warmth, you know, (laughs) as it was in season one? Like the oh, smiles I'm, in the pilot. I can be fun. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, remember when she's like doing the drinking game? She's like, "Oh, I can be fun." <laughs> yeah, uh, you the know, cheek to cheek smiles in, in the pilot that never came back. <laughs> it, it's it's almost like it's almost like in her dynamic with Bellamy through season one, she's figuring out what it's like to be a human being who interacts with other human beings in a very intimate and human way. And then in season two, she loses that. And she, like, she is this goody two shoes, but she's also kind of socially inept in that <laughs> she doesn't really take a lot of people's opinions into consideration. God, I think I'm describing myself. <laughs> Maybe why I like Clark so much. Um, but what a breakthrough. A breakthrough. Everybody, this is like therapy. Everyone's charged like $1,000 <laughs> for this session. But no, I mean, like, Dude, I don't know. I, I just think it's really important that she she loses she loses something in season two. She loses, I think, her touchstone in Bellamy a lot because he he's he's very comfortable jousting with her, right, guys? Like Bellamy doesn't take mm-hmm. a lot of Clark shit. Um, Raven doesn't either, and 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 Octavia doesn't to a point. But they don't they don't challenge her in a way that makes her call back into herself and and make her be as introspective introspective as she needs to be in order to regain 
that bit of herself, that girl she was in season one, the one that thinks that she can be fun, the one that thinks that she can be friends to other people. Like, like Joe pointed out, how do I hug now? I like, <laughs> she's just so disconnected from folks in, in uh, season two, except for, of course, Lexa, which I want to bring up a point, like in the, the ape episode. Uh, so I was watching it like when, in my first go round with the ape episode, I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> I'm, I am picking up what they are putting down. There is something happening here between Clark and Lexa. And I was like, okay, pause. I want to. Dude, uh, I totally didn't pick up on it. I didn't pick dude, up on it. You're the gay. And I know you're I'm the gay, gay but I'm so you're used fired. to like being baited that I was like, no, I'm not falling for this shit again. Okay, um, so so guys. then I fell for it again, and then I still got kicked in the teeth. But no, I didn't pick up on it until I think it was honestly like the um <laughs> where the confrontation kissed. in the in no, ba- the same episode where Clark like confronted Lexa in the tent. Like at that moment when they all both like kind of like glanced at each other's lips, I was like, wait a minute. That was so (laughs) hot. But no, going back to the ape episode, like when they were talking about leadership and, oh, my spirit will choose the next commander, blah, 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 that kind of bullshit. I was like, pause. Okay. I remember that AV Club had season two reviews. So I'm going to see if other people are wondering the same thing I am. So I went, I went to the AV club. I went to that episode, scrolled right down to the comments. Like top comment is about the sexual tension between the two. Um, so I was like, from, from our take in last episode where Joe and I were like, Oh, mm, ADC, not a great actress to here. I was like, sign me up, pushing all my chips into the middle of the table. Uh, I'm going all in. I think with pocket aces, don't care. I still even found the 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 scene where they were trapped in the zoo to even be not quite her best work, though she was funny when she said, how were your <laughs> leaders chosen? Like that was like maybe the funniest Lexa moment, but I would oh, say I don't like know, democracy. Her her being uh the great actress, I think was her when she convinced Clark that like this is they were gonna have to let Tom DC burn. I think that was the moment where I was like, damn, like who the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was an but interesting anyway, scene getting- because it, I, I'm very like I'm very kind of like I always look at how they do their blocking or whatever. And Clark in that scene is like, no, we can't do this, and steps up and grabs Lexa, and Lexa's just like steps into her and makes Clark step back. I'm like that's a power mm-hmm. dynamic right there. And that whole power dynamic is flipped two episodes later when Clark, oh my God, in that scene, backs Lexa up into the table. I'm like, there's some sexy time going to happen sometime soon. It's got to be, right? Because this is just like, but that whole power dynamic between how they like approach one another and that, you know, Clark at that, or, or Lexa at that point steps into Clark and makes Clark back up and Clark. And this is my problem with Ton DC, right guys. I, I mentioned this at kind of the top of the episode. I think this is an example of, of one of their rush decisions because they needed something really cr- crucial to happen to one of their characters. They needed Clark to cross that proverbial Rubicon from where she was prior to that episode into where she is at the end of that episode, especially with her mom, 
So it's, it's Alexa imposing her view of leadership upon Clark. And then Clark, a couple episodes later, stepping into Alexa and saying, I know you cared about those people. Love is not weakness, you know, that type of thing. So I think if you kind of like look at how they interact with each other in how they move against one another, it's, it's, it's interesting how their power dynamic kind of shifts during this season. Yes, though I am not sure I necessarily agree that it was the incorrect choice for Clark to make. I think that it put her across a line, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that as shitty as it is, I don't see another option. Are you talking about she... the bombing of Tandisi? Yeah, the bombing of Tandisi. Yeah. Can so we talk about that? Can we officially now talk about that? No, we yeah. cannot officially talk about that. Yes, we can't officially talk about that. Here's my deal. <laughs> like, Clark is super smart and super resourceful. The fact that she couldn't figure a way out of that that predicament it feels like a plot device to me. So, Shaheen, what, what's there your was... take? Or Joe or Shaheen? No, no, Shaheen can go. He he has things he to He wants say. to talk about the bombing of Ton DC. Yeah. He wants to talk about it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we can't. We can't not talk about that. We can't talk about the 100 and not talk about the bombing of Ton DC. <laughs> so, um... Gloss right over it. This is, like, the weirdest beginning to a children's story. Like, the way that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> like, please, gather around, children's. Let me tell you a story about how a bunch of people burned. Once mm-hmm. upon a time, there was a village. And then it got missled. The end. <laughs> So, um, first of all, the sim- this is this incident in Tan DC is based on similar incidents that happened in during World War II. Um, I mean, it's all mostly um, speculative, and you know, it's not confirmed. But there were some bombings, most n- most notably the Coventry Blitz. I don't know if you guys have heard about that. Not a it's huge a- history buff, Shaheen. Sorry. It's a British town that the the Germans were. The, the Germans bombed a few times and it was one of those things where they bomb a town that has no strategic or military significance. It's merely to sort of wear your enemy down. And it, um, it's a uh, it's a morale crusher, right? Right. And uh, one of the major events was, uh, I think, uh, in November of 1940, where they bombed this town, Coventry. And there were some reports later, inside um, reports and rumors uh, that the government, Churchill's government, knew about this. Um, They knew this bomb was coming. And the way that they knew was they had cracked the German code. So the German code, uh, the coding system was called Enigma, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. And they so so Alan Turing is and, and his people cracked it, right? Yeah, um, they cracked it, but and and one of the things that they heard was we're gonna bomb Coventry, mm-hmm. and uh, so then they had to decide do we evacuate and let the Germans know that we cracked their code, or um, do we not do anything about it and hope that the co- the what we're the stuff that we're listening in on will be more important than this one town. So this is kind of a very similar situation, except in this case, of course, you have an inside man who is 
um, murdered a guard and is wearing their clothes and carrying their card inside a sealed bunker uh, that only has less has less than 400 people in it. And if you think about it, I want to move on to the question of does this decision that Lexan Clark made really make sense? If you think about it, Bellamy is going to be found out anyway. And, and as you see, like in the next yeah. episode, they find him right after Rubicon, the, the episode that we're going to watch for next time. Um, they immediately find him because how could they not? I mean, they're okay, obviously so- they're going to know when Lovejoy doesn't report back. They're going to know mm-hmm. when uh, he starts using his card all around the mountain. And so um, you only have a few hours until your inside man is discovered anyway. So well, you but, but basically Shaheen, again, again, we're privy to. So we have that we have that um, audience omniscience mm-hmm. um, that again the characters don't have. So right, but we I don't mean, necessarily it's not very know complicated. What, I mean, you what, could. You know, we we Go know ahead. that there's only 382 people in Mount Weather, so we 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 think that's a pretty intimate society, and they and everybody knows everybody. Like, mm-hmm. I was surprised that nobody was like, "Who's this dude that I've never seen before?" Mm-hmm. Um, it, to me, it's it's really really weird, and that's probably a well actually. Um, now <laughs> that I think about it, <laughs> and I mean, also like if you think about it on the other side of the coin. Um, let's say that you evacuate Ton DC and let's say you try to make it look like there was a fire, like Clark was suggesting. It was a great suggestion, in my opinion. Um, you can just start a fire or something or start a fight between some Asgeta people and some other people and make it look why like... Why it always got to be Asgeta? Like, why? Why it's the realistic. fuck are you racist? <laughs> you, you... <laughs> it's realistic, man. Everyone believes it. Um... Not Asgeta privilege, dude. <laughs> Yeah, so um, profiling. Anyway, um, <laughs> like, and let's no, say that they... Shaheen is pro-profiling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it comes to Greyhound buses. But anyway, I As a brown person with a beard, how do you feel about profiling, Shaheen? Love it! <laughs> As a person who just got kicked off the bus. Um, I think it's a great policy. Um, so anyway... Yeah, let's say that the the mountain that uh, first of all you don't even know if the mount, mountain men have a, uh, a sniper or someone who's watching. Um, they usually don't. I mean, this is a well. They uh, do know. They do know. It's it's discussed in. Uh, right, Clark so, figures it out so later. So Bellamy overhears like, it, and Clark a, overhears it. They have a right. they have a spotter, and Clark oh, even you mentions mean in the radio. it in Rubicon. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. Clark mentions okay. it at Rubicon. Let's find the spotter and kill him. Therefore, there's no way right, they right. can aim the missile, which makes it, no it sense because like it takes sh- like two seconds for the missile to go from Mount Weather to Tallinn, D.C. It's not like this world is huge, hmm. right? They made it look kind of look like she kind of had an idea and figured out that there was a spotter. Yeah. But anyway, uh, let's say that you know there's a spotter. Like uh, let's concede all of these points. You know that there's a spotter. You you know that they're gonna figure out the fire was fake. I don't know how, but let's say that all of those things happen. Even then, their main guess is not gonna be uh, that someone broke into Mount Weather. I mean, that's never happened. Well, so, what was their, What would their main guess be then, Shaheen? Some some inside uh, spy. They would think that there's a oh, spy. Oh, somebody within somebody within the Mount Weather populace would right. be. And, 
I was actually thinking that the, uh, Cage was going to be suspicious of Emerson because he comes back. Looks, it's Wait, of who? Emerson. Emerson. This is this is fucking mind blowing right I, now, Shaheen. I'm not I'm not familiar with with Emerson. Um, Carl Emerson. Weather security detail. Carl Emerson. Oh. Matt Weather security detail. I don't I don't know detail. about his full name. I'm Magically sorry. comes back. <laughs> You're a dick. <laughs> he conveniently survived Camp Jaha. He comes back, and then uh, he you know he brings this vague message. And then somehow they figure out that there was a bomb. Who else could it be? Huh. It's it's freaking Emerson. Never so, even considered this, Shaheen, that they would think that if if they evacuated Tom DC or some other weird coincidence happened, that they could go like, oh, there's somebody in our ranks who's a traitor. Oh, mm. man. I mean, if Is you this- think about it, that's the more plausible explanation then. Someone broke into this highly sealed, heavily defended mountain. Uh, got past the reapers, got past the acid fog, got past the intake door, somehow got in. That's just like, I mean, Dude. if you think about it, Bellamy was <laughs> should have died. Like, he fucking had no chance at that. He locked out big time. So, Dude, like, who I, wins a fight in their underwear, honestly? <laughs> well, Bellamy obviously does. He can fight me obviously. in his underwear anytime. Okay, Wait, so quick question. So basically, quick question. Shaheen, what you're saying is the whole Tondi C thing is one big, huge well, actually. <laughs> well, I think that it's it's interesting. <laughs> well, actually, it's amazing how they made it sound like, oh my god, yes, there is no other choice. It sucks, but this is the only way. But in, when you sit down and think about it, you, it's like. Uh, not at all. That's not at all the only way to do it. Yeah. And, you know, it's not at all clear that it even has a benefit because well, your guy is going to be found out anyway. I mean, I and, and he does. Forward, right? Shaheen, I look forward to reading your Fix It alternative canon universe fanfiction. <laughs> yeah, I would love to read some Shaheen fanfiction. I bet, I bet the it's, smut it's would steamy. be hot. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but now let's say that they were right. Let's say that they yeah. uh, really had this choice uh, between two really equal or two, both of, uh, two options, both of which are pretty awful. Mm-hmm. One is that you're going to uh, lose your inside, inside man, possibly lose the whole war. The other option is let 20, sorry, 250 innocent and unsuspecting people die. Um, two, 250 and some change. Let's say that you have this option now, uh, and and they choose to to let the bomb drop. One question that I often ask myself is: Is this worse than the massacre that happened in season three? Um, I mean, if you think about it, in both cases, there was no imminent threat. It, it wasn't yeah. done for imminent threat. So yeah, the victims are innocent. Um, in my opinion, there is no imminent threat. I mean, there is the threat of, like, yeah, the Bellamy well, being captured, but um, that will just put you back in the first place to in the first okay. square, right? So uh, again, where you are you're up against this mountain, and that was always you know the situation anyway. So again, though, Shaheen, the um the the narrative omniscience that we have. If you look mm-hmm. at it, it from like, let's look at it from Lex's point of view. Losing Bellamy loses the ability to shut down the acid fog, loses the ability to move the, the army closer to Mount Weather. 
um, and make them a uh, for now, right? I mean, they could send someone else in. They could try sending someone else. But for now, Uh, you're back at. They don't have a way in though. Once once they lose once they lose Lincoln, they don't have a way in. Although they get Lincoln back right in that episode. Well, um, no, but they get Lincoln back in that episode, but they don't, they, they but don't that's know it. after yeah. their decision. Right. But at the same time, though, it's like, oh, the Reapers are out collecting able-bodied persons, and it seems like all the able-bodied persons are sent into harvesting. Mm-hmm. So the folks that the Reapers don't eat immediately, which seems to be everyone, or, get, or you could get on the inside. Another, another Reaper, turn them back into person, and then have them do this. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and then there's um, we talked about whether there are other options or not. I think I feel like there were other options. Again, Clark let, even mentioned some of them. Let's remember though that the episode is named a Rubicon, and that's mm-hmm. I think that's specifically in regards to Clark crossing crossing a line that she cannot come back from. And mm-hmm. I mean, like even Abby says it as much because Abby at that point is the. I guess Abby at that point is kind of like the Greek chorus. She kind of like is the the person who uh, vocalizes the moral and ethical dilemmas with Clark's mm-hmm. decision. And of course, later on, the the next four episodes are going to are going to kind of muddy those waters a little bit with with Kane and Abby having the discussion when they're when they're stuck together about well, of course Clark would make that decision. She learned that shit from us. Mm-hmm. She right. smokes pot. She got another that from example us. of we are the same. Exactly. Yeah. I, Where I mean, they realize uh, it's not really that different. I was mad at you for doing this thing, but now she I realize learned it from it's watching not very different us. from what I was doing. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, a lot of the all of these. Well, I won't say all because that's that's too that's too much of a generalization. But like a lot of these themes, they have they have a lot of connecting points, right? Um, and that, and that's what makes the show so interesting to watch. And that's what, you know, why we have a podcast It's why we spend our time talking about these things, because mm-hmm. these aren't easy decisions that the characters make. And they're not, you know, they're morally complex. A lot of these things yep. are morally complex. And, but, and if you're interested in the comparison between the Tandisi bombing and the massacre, the um, there are thing? a couple of. There are a couple of important differences between them. One of them is that this is an example. The Tan DC thing is an example of letting people die, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the massacre is obviously actively killing people. And this is something that comes up a lot in uh, ethical debates, like when you talk about, you know, end of life sort of uh, death with dignity laws and people who want to who refuse treatment and they just want to die. They, there's a lot of discussion about um, it, does it, is there a difference between not providing care to someone and letting them die and going ahead and you know pulling the plug and yeah. killing them. So it's not clear that there is a difference there, but that's something to think about. And then so, the, the other difference is premeditation, obviously. Clark and Lexa had little, very little time to think about it, but obviously Pike and Bellamy had a lot of time, so... Let, let me That's ask you, Shah- Shaheen, since I'm not familiar with the, the whole Coventry incident in World War II, mm-hmm. what, was there any, in like any of your readings or studies, was there any discussion that perhaps that whole incident would 
would unite people even further and build morale even further. Um, because it seems uh-huh. like it seems like there was a. That was one of the arguments. Yeah. Okay. Like Lexa mix. Yeah. It seems so, like what? It, it, I mean, it just seems like one of those things that has an uh, an added bonus. I hate saying that because mm. it seems so crass. Death bonus. Yeah, mm. it's just like well, you know, we can't we can't warn Coventry because then they would learn that we know about their code that we've we've cracked their code. But also, it has the added bonus of really mm-hmm. rallying everybody together, getting that you know national yeah. pride. How dare they? Type of thing. Um, I mean, I don't know if this individual incident had that kind of effect, but you're definitely right that as a whole, the fact that these things happened, uh, mm-hmm. bombings of civilian areas, was the reason uh, people um, in England and other places thought of the. Uh, national socialists as like this evil demon that you know they they pretty much um, you know basically they don't stop they stop at nothing and so we can we don't have to stop at anything you know yeah. and that led to you know bombings of uh, Dresden and other places um, kind, of, kind of using another's an, another entity's moral code guide your own which I think is right. is probably a really really bad precedent to set goes back to that uh, issue of we are the same are you um i mean nietzsche has this quote where he says that um i'm gonna totally butcher it but it says something <laughs> to the effect of when you look down uh an abyss the abyss looks into your soul and no yeah when, when you stare at the abyss the, the abyss stares back Oh my yeah. God! Did I just fucking trump you? In a <laughs> I think it's when you. I, I think it's when you look into the abyss, but that's besides the point. Yeah. Oh well, but it stares back. I, and Dude, then he did also I just says, like smack you down in your own field of study? Did the English your major quote just was better own than you? mine? <laughs> assuming your quote was more accurate than mine, yes, you did. Assuming my quote was more accurate than yours. I love that I'm you're trying sure. to like show up Shaheen and be like, boom, I got you. And he was like, no, I mean, that's fine. If you're, if you're right, you're right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Give me this victory, please. I'm not giving um, you the pleasure, Jen. But so, then the, the next, the, the rest of it is when you're fighting a beast, you must be careful not to turn into one. And um, this is why I fucking love Nietzsche and wish I had studied more of him. I mean, like, Dude was just so practical. He had no, he had like no edifice. He had like no, you know, fancy, you know, precocious stuff. He was just like, this is how it is, guys. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I kind of, I kind of, kind of love Nietzsche a little bit. Um, And Kane quotes Nietzsche in that episode, by the way, uh, for Octavia, when he says, uh, what doesn't kill them makes them stronger. Um, Really? That's Nietzsche. Yeah. See, yeah. this is this is why a philosophy minor doesn't give you as much knowledge as you need if you want to combat Shaheen in <laughs> um in the in the blood sport of philosophy. Um, so we're we, guys, we're running a little long here, but we're we're having some. I think I think we're having some really good discussion. I think Shaheen is really bringing it this episode. Um, anytime, like somebody Thank brings character, way to not leave it on the bus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> way, way too, um, way too, like dunk it from the the uh, three point line, Shaheen. So I think we're Thank gonna you. have to start wrapping All it up. All those I waiting th- times at Greyhound help. 
<laughs> yeah, like, we, oh, need to, we need to get you on Greyhound more. Um, I'll just send you around the country CNN on a bus. talking about Trump, or it's, I have to think about the hundreds, so... Well, easy uh, choice. Easy yeah, choice. easy choice. I would rather pick lint out of my navel than think about Donald Trump. Um, I mean, I, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, don't don't like disregard navel lint picking. Like, I feel like that like is up <laughs> higher on many things, not just Donald Trump. Um. No? Anyway, well, fine. Well, I don't what know. Else? I don't know about you guys, but like. I feel weird when I stick my my finger in my navel. Like it's attached to weird parts of my body. <laughs> like, does it, is anyone else like, oh, I'm gonna stick are my you, finger in my navel and then are suddenly you sure it's your navel. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, I, I've read this on Reddit a number of times. Like, when you like stick your finger in your navel and wiggle it a little bit, you feel it in other parts of your body. Um, and of course, I think it goes back to the woman, all that shit. But anyway, um, I'm not the only person. I'm not weird, guys. Please. So let's start wrapping this up. Let's get into our well, actually. Joe, you brought a well, actually, that I never, ever considered. And I'm like, I could do which a whole one? podcast around this. Abby in the Wait, which one? The- <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So, okay. This is fucking ridiculous, so guys. We- so we come, we we come to a, a stagnant pool of muddy water, and Abby leans down and fills up her fucking canteen first of all, and then offers it to her daughter. Like, is Abby secretly trying to kill Clark? Like, did she not take Earth skills? Was Pike the only Earth skills person? And since they grew up together, she didn't get to take his class. Like, what is she doing? It's Who like- drinks out of stagnant muddy? fetid water so are you sure that's bad for you dude go back and watch and look at the post i mean our ancestors drank it we that we wouldn't have existed if that was that would kill you i think i think animals know you know like you go with the running water first and then can i actually do a a second well actually of course you can okay because i didn't get to get into all the philosophical shit so i'm going to talk about pauna so here's the thing (laughs) Right. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many gorillas the DC Zoo currently has. I don't know how many gorillas the DC Zoo is going to have in 50 years, but presumably many of them die in the radiation, right? Yeah. What are the odds that there are enough gorillas in the DC Zoo for them (laughs) to reproduce and yet well, have one gorilla left who is uh, who is ostensibly going to be the last gorilla. Okay. But either way, and who is now suddenly a carnivore able to, like, eat elk and moose? Okay. Like, what? I, Why is there a gorilla? Check out how meta this is. I'm going to well actually, you're well actually. Okay. <laughs> Please. There, Please so do. there are probably a number of zoos in the same vicinity as the DC Zoo, like Baltimore, um, and other well, this cities. is the national zoo. We see the sign. Yeah. So, uh, so there. So DC is is really close to a number of cities. And again, this is ninety seven years. So gorillas from other areas of the country could have gone. Been like, hey, I haven't seen Virginia. Let's go visit Virginia. <laughs> uh, as it far is for as the, the going from herbivore to carnivore thing, uh, again, plot device. Uh, but I want to go back to the to the puddle. Dude, so okay. you wrote this thing about the puddle in the in the show notes before I had gotten to that episode. I'm like, what is she talking about? And then I got to the part where this brown, disgusting, fetid 
puddle of disgusting, like dead shit Horse has got piss. me floated in, floating in it. I'm like, I could do a whole podcast episode around this whole, <laughs> like, dead possum probably floating. She like, is the worst doctor. Like, she might be a brilliant surgeon, but her hands are filthy all the time. Like, and yeah, she's trying Abby to kill her daughter like, with like, like Zika water. <laughs> and like, okay, so what's dirtier? This fucking fetid puddle of dead wildlife or the water <laughs> that they flood they flood <laughs> Polis Tower with in season three. That number one is is on Terry's dirty <laughs> bath water that had Titus's bloated corpse floating. In I it. would I would drink that water over over the, the mud water. Are you I serious? Would. You would you would drink on Terry's dirty Titus no, corpse water. To, no, no, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you know that they didn't leave the body there. Like, she likes to take baths. It's not like she wasn't like, get this corpse out of here. No, 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 no. Murphy tricked her into, Murphy and Titus tricked her into taking a bath. That was part of the quote unquote ceremony. You just want to drink. Nobody tricked you just want to drink on Terry's bath, bath water. That's so good. It's actually uh, eight babies' blood, too. The blood of eight, eight, how many novices? <laughs> uh, the blood of a bunch of babies. Oh my God, that. Shaheen is right. She had to clean all that blood off of herself in that water too. Night Joe, blood. you are- That's dis- just flavor. <laughs> that is just flavoring. Yeah, that's um, mineral flavor. That's like iron flavor. Right, that's no, disgusting. I'm low on iron. I'm dealing with my anemia. <laughs> Anyway, what are your guys as well, actually? Our listeners at this point are like, what the fuck is going on right what now? Is, yeah. Am Wait, I like, dropping acid? always come back to me being a cannibal. Like, Am I, I dropping even... acid right now? So um, I want to my... point out that uh, Pauna is listed as a mutation in the uh, Wikipedia article. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, but he didn't. So, he didn't and I always assumed that she was a mutation. I immediately, so it's I like the gorillas from what was it from Congo like the the evil gorillas that like uh-huh. guarded all the diamonds in Congo and like were carnivorous is that what we're going with this is what I Joe no brings to the podcast just just deep, deep. I'm like the fucking Richard Attenborough David Attenborough of <laughs> of our podcast yeah no it, I, just me. no just these obscure references that nobody knows how is Nobody really. Congo. What's up with the gorillas no. that defend? Uh, yeah, there was the a diamond? bunch of gorillas. There was a gorilla that knew sign language. They were looking for diamonds. Nobody. What is this? Um, it's some movie mid nineties, okay. maybe. That might be. Okay. That right. might be your sweet spot right there. Is these obscure mid nineties movies that nobody has seen? <laughs> you should start a podcast. <laughs> a supplemental podcast to explore <laughs> themes in movies that I've brought up during this podcast. Uh, we can start a whole podcast network. So, Dude, so Shaheen can start his Laura his... Linney. <laughs> Laura Linney, how and Tim Curry? How is this like? So how, Bruce Campbell is in this for fuck's sake. <laughs> so Shaheen can start his rebellious hundred podcast. Um, where he breaks away from the two of us because I guess we're we're just baggage. Um, and then you can have your obscure 90s movies and TV shows podcast. Mm. And I can, like, maybe I can have, like, my 
If you want to learn nope, more nope, about just stop right there. value propositions nope. in product marketing, follow me. <laughs> you um, should write one of those, like, how to get rich in 10 steps books, Jen. I hate those. Except dude. how to lose a podcast partner in five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You guys are... This is this is like the beginning of the end. So everybody just like mark this day down in history as this obscure hundred podcast starts its dissolution right now. So my well, like some of my well actually, my well actually is like okay. So the, like I guess the spotter slash sniper. I'm I'm a little bit confused as to what he's supposed to be. Like how far away is he from Ton DC and what is his sight line? Like, I know I'm kind of going beyond these four episodes and into the next episode when they're searching for this dude, but he seems like he's so far away from Tondi C and has the weirdest sight lines to, like, attempt to sniper people down. Like, it makes, like, some of these spatial things in this show make no sense to me. And also, I think, um, <laughs> Shaheen, uh, you touched on this a little bit about um, OTAN. OTAN, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Grounders don't use guns, but apparently fucking uh, grenade launchers or missile launchers are just fine. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's awesome. Hey, guys, do you got like... But it was necessary because it was like... They, it was the only thing that you can't do anything against. It was like, this is the last word, guys. I got a rocket launcher. I got, <laughs> I got a, a fucking rocket, launcher, rocket right here. Like, what else? Like, what are you going to do? Ah, uh, seriously. That's awesome. I guess the mutants have their own little code of conduct. and um, No, I think uh, Otan and, and Mori just don't give a fuck about grounder codes anymore, obviously. Yeah, they were, they've were. they left the reservation. They're, they, they've got their own moral code. Yeah, yeah, they do. They certainly do. Do we have any other well-actuallys that we want to cover? I mean, I'm confused as to how Sky Crew are such good shots when... When did they practice? Like, like maybe they have like Ocul- Oculus. Um, yeah, but VR. that's but that the doesn't give you huge, recoil. Man. They might that, have practice. That doesn't range. give you recoil. Maybe they have like huge like uh, paintball sessions on the arc. <laughs> yeah, they they've got Fake they get in some good uh, paintball session. Okay, okay, that's fair. These are these are the things that you don't think about magic. Magic hand magic. hand. So this is a hand wavy moment. This is yeah, exactly this is a hand wavy moment. My whale actually is um I I had a couple but so Monty says or Harper says they have yeah. they built forty seven cages and she emphasizes that they built forty seven one for each of them and then they show two rows of cages that are doubled up and you know I'm like well actually forty seven is a prime number. So, and it's not, certainly not divisible by two. So there, I don't know oh my how, God. how they built 47 pages There is a luxury cage off to the side. It's the VIP cage <laughs> that you couldn't see. It's a double-decker level. Joe, uh, How dude. is this? What? Shaheen, Shaheen just said it's a prime number. Shaheen is Jennifer Goins. He's a prime. He doesn't watch the show. He's not going to get it. You know, he was gonna he was gonna watch Twelve Monkeys, not after I recommended it, but only after you recommended. I know, and then Laura like, yeah. you were only got was, was, Fuck you, Shaheen. Turns out the appeal of Joe's recommendation is better than yours only for like one day. 
it's got a short shelf life. Yeah. I kind of I kind of hate you right now, Shaheen. I have a <laughs> I have really good taste in TV. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But you don't let's, sell it. You don't sell it the let, way that I do. You need showmanship. You need that PT Barnum flavor. I need I need jazz hands. Is that what you're saying? I was actually jazz handsing at the microphone while I said that. So yes, clearly. You're a bunch of dicks. <laughs> um so Like is each of us more than one? Uh, never mind. Let's move on. Yeah. So I guess we need to we need to seriously wrap up because we're running long. We had a lot of good discussion here, but but of course Joe has to go to bed because she's gotta make breakfast for her partner. Um, which we learned about in the cold open to last episode. So let's so our next episode, episode eight, I guess it is, we'll be covering the, the best uh, four episodes ever. Really? Oh, okay. So we get a little preview of what Joe thinks about them. So we're, I don't know. We're From covering, what I remember, I remember them being pretty good. So we are covering uh, the last four episodes, which is 13 through 16. Yeah. I did not update our run sheet. And I'm God, Jen, I swear I'm to God. I'm not good at math on the fly. I'm going to walk off of this podcast. I just, I can't with this unprofessionalism. <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. Um, so TV shows to recommend. Um, so Shaheen, you actually have something in the run sheet. What the fuck is this? And you guys this? have nothing. No, we I, have something. I yeah, just they're in my brain. I, hole. I just didn't. I just didn't put it in the run sheet. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Shaheen, you have actually have something to recommend, and I'm like, what the I, fuck is this show? I highly recommend Harmon Quest to anyone who loves comedy or. Animation is this, or Dungeons is, and Dragons wait, or wait. Pathfinder. Is this what he's doing while he's not actually making more Rick and Community. Morty? All right, wait, wait, is it wait, which Harmon is this? It's Dan This Harman. is Dan Harmon. Oh, okay. And uh Aaron McGathy and Jeff Davis and Spencer Crittenden. Um and they bring in one guest or sometimes two guests every episode. And it's hilarious and it's awesome. Okay, but but where so where's wait, my Rick and Morty? Where can I find this, Shaheen? Is this like is this, this is on, on CISO? Um, the, oh, CISO. The I network keep is called CISO. CISO but yeah, you can oh, find yeah. it online too. For some reason, you can watch it online. Yeah, yeah. yeah they I have things couple, on the internet. I listen to a couple podcasts that also reference CISO. So. Yeah. I think it's kind of like the next big comedy thing, probably. I guess. Um, Joe, what what you watching? Um, we are watching. Um, well, obviously we watch Stranger Things, but since you already plugged that one last week, I'm gonna plug um Another Time, which is on huh? Comedy Central. Is that what it's called? Another period, dude. Another period. Jesus God Christ, who's the Whatever. one drinking? I'm the one drinking. <laughs> Another period. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. which is basically sort of Downton Abbey meets like the Kardashians. Like they've, they've, <laughs> they've made I'm a very so, like Downton-y, so like it's like a, a house. It's an upstairs, downstairs kind of a thing, except the way that it's shot and the way that it's edited and the way that the character, like the scenes are sort of written. It's very vapid stylized, um, reality TV show. Um, Michael Ian Black is in it. Uh, Christina Hendricks is in it. Um, she's actually really funny as sort of the straight man of the whole thing. Um, she almost, her character's almost like a character that should have been on Downton, but she wound up in this nutcase, like a insane, insane asylum. Um, it's filthy. It's, (laughs) 
wrong. It's it's just it's wonderful and hilarious and kind of we're only like six or seven episodes into it, but I'm very much enjoying it. Um, it's I, very I think- very funny. I think I've seen a small snippet of it where, like, the two leads are like, oh, we've inherited our money. What have you accomplished with your life? I was yeah. like, I'm no, they're, they're terrible, terrible people. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Okay. So my what to watch is just huh, so embarrassing. So, um, well, it's, it's semi-embarrassing. So I wrapped up Stranger Things, which is awesome um, it's pretty great it, it was it was really really great and then i binge watched four seasons of wentworth which is an australian australian show you cheeky don't cunts. do an accent no don't don't, don't i do just it. said cheeky cunts so basically everyone's like delete this podcast she said the c word so it's it's comparable to orange and the new black Orange is the New Black in the sense that it's about uh, women in prison, but it's far more serious, and it's it's pretty good. There, there are parts of it I find kind of like, okay, I'm over this specific villain. Like, we can, we can move on past her character because been there, done that, can't stand her anymore. But it's really, really good, and all four seasons are now available on Netflix, so you can catch up. Um, and... So I asked on Twitter, hey, what should I start watching next? And I put a bunch of options out there, and everyone was like, you should watch Fringe or Sense8. Yes. Both, and I, I, ignored, I ignored all that shit, and I went, <sighs> I went straight for Pretty Little Liars. God, you're talk, y'all, I mean, just embrace your creepy old ladiness. Like, y'all, I was just like, I need kind of a vapid drama and a couple people prior to this had said, you know, just watch Pretty Little Liars. It, it's, you know, it's it is what it is, and that's exactly kind of kind of what it is. It is what it is. It's not like fantastic, but you know, it's great background fodder. So, guys, I'm kind of failing everybody. I'm not like watching any premiere television, and because I feel really you ignored everyone's advice to watch Fringe and Sense Eight. Everyone listening to the podcast, watch Fringe and Sense Eight. <laughs> Damn. Um, and I'm still gonna pimp Killjoys. That's one of the uh, one of the things that's still running right now. Uh, running new episodes on Sci-Fi. Killjoys, guys, talk about subverting expectations. Like in the last episode, they had a black exploitation scene, which was just like music and all. It's like this show is so fucking cheeky. Uh, Joe, are you gonna start watching it anytime soon? Uh, yeah. No, I mean, it might be our weekend show. We, we, it was a rainy day on Sunday and I had just gotten back into town. So that's why we just watched all of Stranger Things on, on Sunday. Um, so this weekend we might start Killjoys. Excellent. Stranger Things, I can't say enough about it. It's not the best show on Netflix. It's pretty fucking good it, though. It captures something that if you grew up, if you were a child in, in the eighties in America, sorry, Shaheen, I, I don't know if you grew up here or not. But if you were a child of the 80s, there's so much here to reminisce about and recognize and really appreciate. Like one like episode 7 of the of the series is one of my favorite things I've seen this year. I just I just love this show so much. Even though it's not like the best written show on TV, it just it has that zeitgeist. The kids are good. The fact that there are so oh. many children on that show and no one and they were all exceptional. 
So here's here's the deal with this because I'm procedural and I do my research. They cast the children before they finished writing the series, so they crafted a lot of the the nuances around their characters around the actual kids. So Good. the the kid that plays Dustin, he actually has that that uh, yeah, the, whatever that, the disease is that he misses the diseases where he can't, he doesn't have front teeth and he doesn't have like. Uh, collarbones or something like that, or clavicles. I I don't know what it is, but it's like it's perfectly cast. And there's some, there are like certain points and scenes in the series where you're just like, all right, this this series has my heart. You know that that's what it's about. It doesn't necessarily have my mind, but it has my heart. Um, so guys, fuck it. It's the new. It's the hotness on Netflix that they didn't do a lot of promotion around. But dudes, watch it. Um, so I just want to remind everybody to tweet us comments, suggestions, uh, questions on Twitter at MayWeGeekYen and talk to us on Facebook and guys. Are you, wait, are you going to share the new ship name? Oh, dude, thanks for money. Okay. No, so, uh, yeah. quick, so guys, quick aside. so Stranger Things might be the new hotness, but the new, new hotness is the ship of Rowan. Bellamy and Murphy, and that ship name is Brophy. I am Brophy as fuck. I am so gay for Brophy. It's not even. Wait, funny. wouldn't you be really straight for Brophy? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. Hmm. I, I am Brophy as fuck though, and I think Capital Chick is. I think Danny is. I think Bubbles uh, uh, boarded that train. So if you're like, uh, uh, what what is that called? It's like there's an OTP that's like one true pairing. What is this? An, yeah. This is one true. Triplet? What is it? Triplet? There's some know. there's some word for it. Because I know they Triad? have this with Brave and Lark. Triad. Um, but, but guys, if you, there's just. Uh, it would be magical. <laughs> there's a lot of forums involved. There's a lot of like abs. <laughs> This, this is are like, you, are you, are you, are you losing your train of thought? I can, I can outro us out. Like, um, like my silence is me staring off into the distance, just imagining where Brophy could go. So really you guys should tweet us at may we geek again on Twitter. <laughs> talk to us on Facebook, find us on Reddit. We will always post, uh, you know, on, on the reddits and get into deep discussions. Um, may we geek again. Thanks guys. Take it easy guys. <laughs>